0: In this episode we meet Carter Weigel, a senior sales leader who spent 10 years at Salesforce and most recently had 500 people in his team at WeWork. He's responsible for around $4 billion, that's billion with a B, in revenue. We talk about the most important considerations for stepping into the role for the first time and what CEOs need to be aware of to set up their head of revenue for success. Let's get into it. All right, Carter Weigel, great to have you here. Excited to have this chat today. We're going to focus on all things Chief Revenue Officer. Uh, so, why don't you set some context for people? Uh, what's your current role? Where do you work and what do you do?
1: Yeah. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Uh, I am currently at WeWork. I've been with the company for a year and a half. I was brought in to help run revenue for our commercial products at WeWork. And about four months in, Adam Newman tapped me and asked me to run. Uh, pre-sales and post-sales across WeWork. So uh, initially took on a couple different teams, about 500 people in the organization. Uh, Just to put in perspective, at scale in 2019, my account sales team, we did about a billion in sales and had all of revenue under management. So about 4 billion in global renewals uh, through the teams. So, you know, I've actually uh, recently built a customer success team, a global customer success team of about 100 people so it's been a lot of responsibilities around operations and end-to-end really trying to understand the customer journey at WeWork.
0: Got it, unreal. Those, those numbers, that scale, that sort of blow a few SaaS people's minds, right? And we we have some shared history, right? Cause you, uh, you, you, uh, you spent a bit of time in SaaS. When did you first get into SaaS and where were you?
1: Yeah, great question. So I was lucky. I started my career at Salesforce in 2000. Uh, I joined Salesforce when there was a hundred people in the company. So I uh, stayed there for 10 years and happy to chat a little bit more about my journey there at Salesforce, but, uh, uh, you know, cloud was new, obviously, Mark was, uh, an evangelist and just an incredible leader on many, many levels. But, uh, my first introduction was Salesforce.
0: Awesome. Yeah, Salesforce. So I joined Salesforce in 2005 when we had 600 and uh, we're public. So I didn't really build it. You were part of the engine that built that machine, which is, which is awesome, which has led you now to running, you know, $4 billion revenue organization. The folks that, that, that are most likely listening to this podcast are first-time leaders of all revenue, uh, some with the new title, Chief Revenue Oper- uh, uh, Officer. Or SVP of Sales. What was the first role you had when you owned all revenue?
1: Yeah, happy to share. And I just want a point of clarification. Today, we work. I report to Nick Warswick, who is the Chief Sales Officer. So he officially oh. owns uh, all revenue at WeWork. Uh, so it's interesting for me. Uh, I was in a number of different roles at Salesforce under the sales organization. My first actual foray into really owning revenue was I became an entrepreneur. So I made a really hard decision after being at Salesforce for 10 years and I started my own company. And so, uh, under that company, I had a 50, 50 business partner I took on all go to market. So I built out the sales team, the strategy, the methodologies, uh, across the board. So that first experience was at a company called cloud trigger that I launched.
0: Got it. Got it. And so many folks are first time heads of revenue, and this is why I was excited to talk to you. You know, that was a little while ago. Um, Did you have hair back then? I don't know. Uh, know, I think 2005, I I pretty much didn't. Uh, But, you know, if you were speaking, if you were whispering in the ear of yourself at that time, with all the experience you have now, what do you what do you wish you'd anticipated going into this as the first time, you know, head of all things, go to market. Well, what's most important for you to be thinking about as you step into that role? And then perhaps in a minute, we'll talk about how the CEO needs to set up that person for success.
1: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of it, it's scary for people just haven't been in that type of role before. So some of it is you don't know what you don't know. Uh, you're dealing with high pressure goals, short timelines across, you know, hitting those goals. and you know, at the end of the day, in a lot of situations, you are the man or woman, right? There is no other person that you can necessarily look left or right. I mean, of course, you have a CEO, if that's you're reporting to, or potentially the board. But, you know, a lot of times the buck stops with you, and sometimes it should. So uh, I think a lot of the challenging elements for me was learning how to work with board members and investors, uh, really trying to You know think that uh out of the gates i need to do everything myself and i think over time you start recognizing that you should actually be relying on others including your board Uh, and also third party consultants such an amazing you know group of people out there in our networks that can help us Uh, i think some of the other you know challenging elements are you're always on and so in that role uh, you really start uh, also experiencing different challenges that you might have not been faced with before, things that you just might not experience at a, a different role in the company. Um, and so you start seeing a lot more employee issues, you start seeing more threatened lawsuits with customers. And so there's a whole not- another level of visibility that you get into, I would say, more of the problems and issues of the company versus the straightforward things that you would see as a traditional VP of sales around what are the revenue goals or, or targets. So. I think the other thing is you just have to be really, really, really focused and really, really good at bringing the energy and motivating all the time.
0: Yeah, you, your, your point about being always on really resonates with me. You know, you talk about the VP of sales, uh, something we talk about in our courses, you know, when uh, product-led founders uh, say, well, what, you know, what sales really do? I my favorite one-liner is I say, you know what we do? We weave the blanket of revenue that keeps you warm at night. That's what we do. <laughs> so, yeah. It's a big responsibility. But now, now you're looking behind it, right? You're saying as a you know, head of all Re- revenue, as an executive team member reporting to the CEO, you're getting exposed to so much more. One of the things that I always think about in talking to first-time heads of revenue is how do we prepare them for those first few board meetings, particularly when you join a new company? Because as salespeople, we tend to lead, lean toward the optimism and yeah. we tend to want to share the good news. And depending on your personality, maybe you try, you know, get, yeah. So I'd love your thoughts on this because one of the things I always think about is, you know, you're not gonna get fired for predicting missing a number if you have a mitigation plan. You will get fired if you get surprised by it or the board gets surprised by it. But what what are the things you think about with in terms of managing up with the board?
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think it's communicate uh, often And I think, you know, ultimately making sure that there are no surprises, like board members, investors, they hate surprises. And especially if it's been something that's been going on for a while. So early indication across your KPIs, your metrics, your OKRs, when things are off and certainly like it is very natural that businesses are going to course correct and change. Investors and boards are very, very used to that. And frankly, they're very, very good at it. And most of them, the board, they want to be there. They're designed to be there to help support you. They're not there to run the company, but they're help, there to help support you. If they can't, they're going to reach out to their network and provide that support. So I think, you know, ultimately it's having really clear expectations with them uh, across the board and being able to, as you said, report on what's working and what's not working. And I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, it's too easy for people to focus on the good and not the bad.
0: Yeah. So let's talk more about that getting very tactical because one of the things that occurred to me, it was quite a surprise when the first time I was a VP of sales, my uh, sort of love is sub 50 million. I actually have this passion for that very early stage where you're just trying to figure things out. No one knows what's going on in that role. You kind of your job initially actually is almost 50% revenue or sales operations, right? building the infrastructure because you don't have a team to do that. But at scale, could you, could, perhaps we could talk a little bit about that. How do you think about um, scaling up the importance of the profile of your revenue operations organization and how you partner with them? Because without that, you can't get ahead of the indicators that you need to communicate to the board.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I think, uh, at the end of the day, it's having a really clear game plan. I can keep coming back to that, but it's just so important. Uh, I think you have to collectively create the right culture the right religion. Uh, and you know, ultimately I think it's important that you treat your board as part of your kitchen cabinet because they are a group of mentors that are going to help you through the challenges of the business. So, you know, for me, it's honestly, it's as simple as that, as I like to say, you know, executing on the basics, uh, but also having flexibility, and I think you got to have a, a plan B, you know, I think you were alluding to this, but you're when you run into issues and challenges, you have to be able to demonstrate that you're going to be able to think strategically through solutions, and not just come with the problems. And even for me, you know, in my different roles that I've had over the last 20 years, uh, I still continually get frustrated when I see people bring problems constantly to me. It's the people who are really bringing solutions, you know, and not they might not always be right, uh, but those are the, the true leaders that I see in the up and coming stars in the organization.
0: hundred percent. Um, so let's talk about that a little bit more. Uh, but you've, you've worked with a, a number of executives. So whether it's the CEO or, or one, one person below them, um, what do you think makes for a good working relationship with, for the, for, for a senior revenue leader, you know, uh, what are, what are the operating rhythms look like in terms of how often you meet with that CEO, what the focus of those meetings is. And then I'd love your perspective on sort of the, uh, the support they put around you, be it if you've had some experience with external coaches or mentors as part mm-hmm. of the role, these sorts of yeah. things would be really helpful for the first time revenue leader.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I think having regular executive board meetings uh, is a standard, but I've actually seen at different companies where that's not the case. So regular executive board meetings with lots of preps. And then I think you need to have, you know, you should have regular one-on-ones with the board members. It's really important that you build trust and rapport. And you're, you, depending on the size of the company and the scale, you might not always get that. Uh, and then I think also importantly that you're having those repeat regular one-on-ones. It's interesting to me, I've, you know, talked to a couple of friends in my network where they're like, well, I meet with the CEO all the time. We actually don't have one-on-ones. And so obviously this is a strategic opportunity for you to uh, discuss important uh, challenges in, in areas of the business. Uh, you know, additionally, I think you need a commitment from the CEO and the board that there are commitments across the business so other leaders are accountable, right? Because you are certainly not managing as a CRO necessarily, you know, product, you know, maybe you are not managing support, but it's super important that you're working cohesively as an executive team. I also see, unfortunately, a lot of companies where that's not the case. So obviously there's a lot of different attributes and things that have to come together to really create that a team and that leadership team that just firing across the board. Uh, as far as, you know, myself, mentorship, uh, I think it's been one of the, the top areas that's helped me excel in my career because as you hit different inflection points, you're gonna co- come across things that you just don't know. So you know, still to this day, I can reach out to people like Jim Steele or Frank Van Viendahl. Uh I have uh, a number of different people in my network that ha- are prior investors in my first company that I still engage with. Uh, most recently in the last couple of years, I've joined Vistage, which is a peer-to-peer group uh, we meet once a month and we can break away for the business. I commit a day to doing it. And you really start thinking about the business challenges. We go through issue processing and uh, and it's a group of 15 people that I've developed trust and rapport with that are really smart. And every time I have an issue or a challenge, I come out of there with a number of great ideas. So I know there's some other great organizations out there that are providing the same and focusing more on CRO you know, type roles. And so I, I couldn't be a bigger fan of that. I just think you know, the, the kitchen cabinet has got to be part of your success.
0: 100%. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the CRO role. So uh, as organizations are scaling, some folks listening to this will be VPs of sales more than likely and don't yet have responsibility for marketing. Do you have some sort of framework for thinking or rubric around when it makes sense to actually have a single revenue leader that takes all revenue, uh, including the, uh, the marketing function? Yeah, I mean, it's
1: a great question. I think it depends on the business and the founding team. Uh, as you just highlighted, you know, I think in the world today, we're still figuring out what a CRO is, honestly, because I talked to a lot of companies. I talked to still a lot of recruiters. Uh, a CRO can mean just sales. It can be customer success and marketing. Uh, so ultimately, for me, it's you have to be strategic across all lines. So it goes above and beyond those just of you know, customer success and support and sales. It's also HR and marketing and products. Uh, I think it's somebody that, you know, really can understand and be strategic. They can implement OKRs. They have different KPIs, the the company goals. Uh, And truly, I think the board, the investors, the CEO are looking for somebody that can think two to three years out so you know typically most vps of sales because they haven't necessarily been in a place or empowered to think further out uh i think that's you know a typical limitation but it feels like today what i'm seeing in the market is somewhere around 10 million in arr is where companies are starting to think about the cro uh and somebody that really has demonstrated their ability to think about the customer journey end to end Uh, I also typically get calls or hear in the market uh, when somebody says, hey, we've outgrown our VP of sales. Uh, They're really good at mid-market, but maybe not good at enterprise. Uh, You know, we need somebody that can implement operations rapidly at scale. And again, I think it just comes back to where I typically see is it's to augment certain skill sets that are not maybe being met across several of the different uh leadership roles currently in the company whether it's you know sales marketing customer success so those are you know some of the key areas that i i see
0: makes sense to me yeah it, it is it's a it's a uh an abused label i think it's a bit like the chief customer officer you know who knows the, what the heck that is these days when you see the variance right in terms totally. of when it's
1: deployed I, and i think it's fair now i mean you know you have. Chief sales officer, right, is feeling like that's you know most the becoming somewhat of the new norm. Uh, so again, I think it just depends on the founder, their skill sets, uh, the depth and breadth of uh, the company and the structure, and you know where you brought in maybe a VP of sales at what time in the company. When did you bring somebody in at marketing at what level? You know, all those factors you know matter.
0: Got it. Uh, and when you think about the, um, the value you get from your peer group, the 15 folks that you work with, um, what what are the sort of problems or, or, or things that you find a peer group like that most helpful to solve for?
1: Ooh, it's a great question. Uh, you know, Frankly, it can be anything from I'm having issues with you know my boss, the CEO. It could be I'm having issues with the board. Uh, it could be that we're trying to launch a new product, uh, and, you know, we don't have the right uh, skill set, understanding, uh, where have other, you know, companies been successful, best practices. Uh, and again, like I said, I think, you know, there's, there's two areas that probably get the most value. One is that every month we bring in a speaker. So the speaker comes in, we'll cover different parts of the business from, you know, h- how to hire the A team all the way through, you know, different strategies, best practices around HR. So really end to end in the business. Uh, and then the second is, like I mentioned, the issue processing. So it's an opportunity for people to come in and bring something really hard and challenging that's completely under an NDA to the group. Uh, and so you've got a group of people who will help you come up with a number of different ideas that you walk out of there and you can take back to the business and implement, which is just truly amazing. The, the last is I think the group also pushes hard on uh, not only your company goals, Uh, your personal goals both inside the business and outside the business so there becomes a work-life balance uh, and and really a focus that I think just helps improve you as a leader and a person
0: that's probably a nice uh, topic or chapter for us to finish on because that's something we think a lot about in our organization is, is enabling leaders to be, uh, in contemporary times, you know, the mindful leadership, uh, leadership movement is growing and growing. I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, any experience you might have had or thoughts you have on the topic in terms of how it might have changed your style as a leader uh, over the last 20 years. What's different?
1: I think over time, just having a lot more empathy and respect you know, across the board and, and uh, trying to understand people and their strengths and weaknesses uh, and being a better coach across the board and providing better education and tools and capabilities. But I think, you know, look, ultimately, at the end of the day, you've got to, as a leader, you have to have very clear expectations. Uh, you have to have structure, you have to have clear visions on you know how you're gonna achieve the company goals Uh, everyone needs to understand what exactly needs to be done, why it's being done and to what standard. So you own that at the end of the day, right? And as I said, you know, (laughs) look, it's a hard, it's a hard, hard, hard job and a lot of responsibility. And you know, I learned early on when you can actually create an amazing culture, you almost make it a religion. You got to make that machine fire every single day and you got to bring the energy every day. and. You know, that's on top of sitting on a, you know, great leadership team, having a big market that you're in, a killer product, happy customers. So there's so many different variables that need to come together. But you know, those are the things that I get really passionate about.
0: Awesome. All right. And to finish off on passion and perhaps I always like to ask folks, um, do you have some professional philosophies or thoughts about the role that you always employ in the way you conduct yourself or think about uh, your role day to day?
1: I mean, I feel like I've highlighted a number of those different areas uh, for me. Do uh, you just, I think, honestly, you got to be excited about the product. You got to be excited about the market. You have to have fire in your belly. And, you know, for me, uh, I always feel like I'm, you know, running through brick walls and probably going at a speed that's, uh, you know, challenging for, for most. Uh, but I think, it, you know, it's, it's honestly having just, uh, you know, a, a commitment to the business and the team and, uh, you know, constantly winning is, is, is frankly what gets me up out of bed every day.
0: Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we finish our time today? Any thoughts for the first time CRO?
1: You know, I think just uh, at the end of the day, look, uh, a lot of people want to move into a CR role as a life achievement, maybe a career achievement. Uh, and I think for a lot of people too, they recognize that the CR role is not for them, right? And so you've got a lot of, you know, long time of sales that move into this role. I think the biggest thing is just like clearly understanding the expectations of the role. And really trying to get there. I'm amazed how many companies that I talk to that are looking for a first time CRO where they don't have a job description. And some of these recruiters are out there actually saying, you know, job descriptions are so old school. And I couldn't actually disagree more because if you're stepping into a role where it's not clear and you don't have trust, which is a high percentage of the time not a reality with the first time CEO that you don't know in the board, uh, it just makes it for a really challenging situation. You know, a lot of these companies uh, that are hiring a CRO, have hired a lot of venture capital. They have very, 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 very high expectations in a short amount of time. And Matt, you and I talked about this on another call, but uh, it just takes time to implement, you know, process. It takes time uh, to hire the right people in the team. And so, you know, you're probably six months in, you know, putting your methodology, your tools, your infrastructure, another three plus months before that's gonna take flight. And I think the expectations from the board and the CEO, uh, depending on what's happened in the company in the last 12, 24 months, uh, you know, you might not be turning that ship, you know, fast enough to hit those company goals. So I just think it's, you gotta think further out than, you know, your 30, 60, 90 day plan, which you and I have also talked about, we're both, you know, big fans, but I think you gotta spend a lot of time you know, with the, uh, the the executive team and with the hopefully the board to truly understand what are the goals over the next 12, 24 months, and what happens if we don't achieve those those goals, because you're typically the first person that the board and the CEO is looking at when you're not hitting the revenue goals, and therefore a lot of you know first time CROs don't last, and it may or may not be their fault. So I just think you got to really invest the time and and truly understand you know, the culture, the expectations, what does success look like in 2020 and how am I going to get there and how are we going to get there together?
0: Totally, totally awesome. Carter, this has been fantastic chat. Really appreciate it. Thank you for giving us this time and I hope you have a great end to your day.
1: Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure.